Hello and welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I'm your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today I'm joined by Mr. Mario DeCutis, who is the president of Alternate Mode, Inc. Mario, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for, for inviting me here. Yes, it's an honor. We've been talking for a while and we have some mutual friends and uh, you're someone who comes very highly recommended as a um, uh, really just a, a veteran of the industry who's who's done quite a bit, um, which I'm excited to hear about. Um, really, uh, when I think of you, I think of the the cat percussion and the mallet cat and just the the incredible innovation that you've you've created with that. But um, on top of that, you've also I've been a percussionist with Radio City Music Hall for a long time, up until a couple of years ago, since I believe 1979. Is that right? Till, uh, yeah, till 2020. Till 2020, which a lot of things stopped in 2020. Uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> as we know. So, um, all right, Mario. So this is an interesting one because you've got so much cool stuff that you've done. I'd like to just hear about your background. So why don't we jump in with um, really the the beginning of your drumming and journey and then we'll get into the business and uh and all the percussion stuff and and all that so so tell us about you i was started off as a drummer but wanted to be a vibe player and i guess when i went to college i went to uh bronx community and then queens college got a part partial scholarship at nyu and i started studying with dave friedman i discovered in college that my thing wasn't orchestral percussion i wanted to play jazz or play more mallets. It was mm -hmm. more fun playing shows percussion than playing a triangle in an orchestra. This wasn't my thing. Uh, so uh, I went to college studying jazz, and I started playing in some funk bands, and my fingers used to bleed because everything was rocking away, and my vibraphone just... So I had this incredible desire to get involved in the electronics. Um, there was an article in Modern Drummer in the mid-80s, early 80s, about a guy in Longmeadow, where I live now, Bill Katowski, that was making or about to make a mallet instrument. So I immediately called him up, and I drove up there, and he showed me this gigantic thing that was millions of wires on it, and uh, it had some, I believe, additive synthesis kind of thing with simple oscillators, but the DX7 had just come out. And that just like rocked my world. It rocked the whole music world. It was the first time we were hearing FM synthesis, beautiful sounds. So I was influential in telling Bill to abandon this thing and to make a MIDI controller. Because Yamaha had, you know, was so far ahead in the sound department with that um, FM synthesis stuff. So he did. And, um, we became friends, and I was taking control voltage in college. So I was learning music. I was learning the Buchla system, the Moog system. You know, so I was having music concrete. I was having fun in all those things, actually taking master courses while I was still in my bachelor's. Um, so Bill and I became really good friends. And it wasn't too long when he decided to go into business that I became his partner. So we were partners from 85 up until 95 when Cat went out of business. And in 96, I took it over. Um, but one of the interesting things that happened, 86, 87, I was playing on this thing called the World Yacht. It was a little dinner boat that went around Manhattan. And it had the earliest mallet instrument. And I drove the 
the saxophone player home. And he said to me, I feel sorry for you, man. Why do you feel sorry for me? Your instrument sucks. <laughs> That's not nice. Why does it suck? All the notes are the same length. You don't you can't bend notes. You can't add vibrato. You don't have control of how you can give staccato vibrato. And I said, Oh my God. It was like he changed my life, that guy. From then on, it was about building a vocabulary in the instrument. And it's been the thing that has been driving me since that day. Um, luckily, the thing about Bill, Bill was an engineer, not an uh, not a musician. So I would just fill up his mind constantly. This is how we should do this. This is how we have to do that. And I would get like a chip the next day. Try this out. Try this out. Consider myself the luckiest guy in the world to be able to dream of features and and have it given it to you. So yeah. I was in love with um those early cat days hmm. that's unbelievable i mean it's but you clearly have a brain for this kind of thing like for for a like uh i guess it'd be electrical engineering i mean w what was your degree in in school was it something was it this type of stuff or no i was a music major i oh, okay. had no concept thought imagine and no idea that i was going to get involved in any of this i just basically fell in love with um with getting involved with bill Having an instrument finally that that I could you know play could be heard, and then w when I started thinking about how can we make it more expressive, how what are the things that how can we how is emotion described when you play? When you think about it, well, it's because you bend the note a little bit, you add a little vibrato, you add a little filter for all these little things yeah. can be quantified. So it's been all that. And the, the jam cat, the thing, the hand drum that I created, uh, had the most expressive stuff ever. Uh, but it was beyond what a hand drummer was. It became really more of a lot of compositional tool. But, but for me, it was the ultimate expression. And it was the first product, hardware product, that didn't come from the cat days. It came from uh, some of the cat engineers. But... My concept, which was from learning from Bill, when you work with an engineer for 10 years, you get very skillful in being able to communicate to engineers. And that's what yeah. another g gift that Bill gave me. Yeah, I mean, it's a different language. I mean, it, it is a 100% uh, different world, but it sounds like he I mean, it's it's interesting to me that he's not a music. Bill wasn't a musician, but he still saw the uh, opportunity to create. I mean, really to create vibes that were electronic with his first design instead of the MIDI. So that would be all everything in one. The brain was inside of it. It had built in sounds, right? That was his first. But then you said, no, MIDI's the way to go. We got to control the things. Well, he worked with Star Instruments back then, way back. Do you remember Star Instruments? It's no, I, mean, really I think I've, I've heard of it and I did an e-drum episode and that that is coming back. Uh, the name. Yeah, this little drum, but it had a step sequencer in there. It was kind of like an analog digital hybrid. I mean, that was Bill. And then he left and he started working for Hasbro. Hasbro was going to be making, Milton Bradley was going to be making some kind of a digital xylophone. They abandoned the idea and Bill said, you know what, I really want to do this. And he got permission to take the project and he left them and created the uh, cat. 
Got it. Now, when did you guys like go to market? When did you, besides you just playing it, but what was the like, you know, creating the business, actually making this thing a a boxed up, ready to sell product? Well, interesting thing happened. At Radio City, there was a strike. The orchestra had a strike, again, in the late 80s or something. And um, the orchestra got arrested in front of Radio City in our tuxedos, you know. <laughs> it was just like this publicity stunt. It meant nothing. We got it was just a stunt. But when I was sitting there in the in my tux, handcuffed to the violin player who was then 75 and I'm 28, <laughs> you know, like what am I doing? So I really got mad at music. And I said, uh, I'm ready to do something else. You know, I, I just had this urge that and when I started working with Bill I soon this, so we decided that, oh, let me start selling to you. I'll sell in my basement. I know the guys at Manny's. And we did that kind of thing. And slowly but surely, I got hooked into the selling thing. And um, uh, I started reading all these books on how to sell and books on, you know, how to create a rep force. And so I became the sales force for Cat Inc. back in those late 80s up until 95, 96. Yeah, I mean, you're you have that like, you, well, first off, you're knowledgeable, but you have that uh, from talking to you on the phone for a while. But I, I feel like everyone who comes in contact with you kind of becomes your friend. Like, uh, you're very personable. Where I could see that very much being like, um, you you would be a good salesman for it. Plus, it sounds like you had the best of all the worlds. Where it's you know the instrument you're playing at Radio City Music Hall, which cannot be. I mean, that's big, one of the biggest. Uh, you know, shows in the world. That's kind of the top of the top. So clearly you're an incredible performer. But um, yeah, I can totally see you being a great salesman for this. You know, I love the product. It was yeah. like, uh, it became synonymous. I mean, when, when Kat went out of business in, in 95, I can tell you why that, why that happened. But when that happened, I couldn't stop. No, this is my instrument. So I picked it up with a totally different mindset that... Um, I didn't care about reps, stores, distributors anymore. I just wanted to keep it small so I could get back into playing more. So at the time, it was like, you're doing what? You're going to sell direct. The stores will never talk to you again. The internet was just starting. But the internet saved me. And I was able to sell direct for, you know, 20 years. Got it. And it was just only when more competition came in that I needed to get Big brother involved. Sure. You know, back in the days in the 80s, it was really interesting time. There were so many small American innovative companies doing incredible things up. And it was an exciting time because you could, a small company could survive selling that way. But what happened was the Walmart mentality came in. And all of a sudden, containers are coming in from China. So you needed mass marketing. And because there was mass marketing, they had to sell to the masses. So the quality of the product started going down. Because every decision was based on, will you save 25 cents by doing this? Are we going to get a 1,000 of those? And we don't care about the features because we wanted to make it work for everybody. It was the absolute opposite of what I wanted. I wanted to make the best instrument. I never even thought or cared about what it cost. I just wanted to make it and then to make it the best that I could so I could enjoy it the most. And hopefully there'd be enough people to allow me to continue my game of hiring engineers to let me have fun in my basement. Yeah. And let them do the 
you know, the, the, the actual building and putting together of the circuits and all that stuff, you're the, the creative guy. And just to kind of clear it all up a little bit. So, so Kat, can you just give us a, a very simple, like the timeline of things and we'll jump back and kind of go more through the history, but how did that all go? Just so people kind of know the, like the, what the names of where we were at basically. So it started as Kat, uh, as Katowski engineering. That was his first mallet instrument, totally analog. When he started to, when I, when Bill was convinced that going uh, to a controller was the way to go, um, and we started working together, and he hired people to put a thing, Cat became the name. And we became Cat Inc., I think in 85, could have been 86, but I think we were officially Cat Inc. in 85. And our big instruments then, we did the Malacat, we did the, the Diddy, which is the trigger to MIDI interface. We did the drum cat, uh, and then the trap cat. And the trap cat is what killed the company. Really? Yeah, what happened was we started to say, well, we need to get to a new level here. Uh, we need to make a turnkey, blah, 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 blah. So we got together with the folks at Kurzweil. Kurzweil, uh, the Waltham, not far from here, where's the, the whole engineering team. And we went to them and say, we want a synth a sampler synth inside this instrument. And um, their director was all for it, and we were going to put stuff in that was like, it came out 20 years later. But So with that in mind, Cat got large amounts of loans because the Trap Cat was going to sell. We were going to be rich with this thing, with the sounds yeah. built in, the best sounding engine, 24 pads, FSR. Well, in the middle of the project, so we got the loan. So all the loans are spent. And the, when you get a loan in the bank, you are certain there are certain covenants that you have to adhere to. So the engineer at Kurzweil decides to leave. So when he left, it puts Kurzweil in this horrible place, and they had to abandon our project. So now we have an instrument that doesn't have sounds in it. Then the company that builds the sensors didn't support the tails properly as it comes out of the circuit board and they started to snap and we didn't know until after we had hundreds out in the into the field so they were coming back so the product coming back going down stores all anointed us no sounds built in unable to get the turns and the banks are seeing that they're coming back they turned in their loan so 10 years of work this disappeared in 60 days. Jeez. It's a lesson for young entrep entrepreneurs. Don't be so anxious to get that loan because if anything turns hairy, you are fried. Wow. Yeah. So they had their whole life, their house, everything in jeopardy. Um, at the same time, I couldn't live without it. My wife was a successful uh, realtor. She was a manager in the second largest real estate thing in uh, Long Island. I uh, convinced her to leave her job to move up here. And a few months later, we were out of business. Oh, boy. So I had to pick it up. <laughs> but the goal was that it would be here for a few years. You know, that uh, Bill would help me. Bill helped me with the transmit. You know, he got himself another job right away. and But... No one wanted this to die <laughs> yet. So the 
I found myself, all right, after a year's time, um, I started, the EMU folks contacted me, and they helped me get back into production. So they also helped me get it into stores. They would get a trap cat in the store, but not sell them stands for the trap cat. And the whole quarter would go by, and Guitar Center or somebody would say, this thing isn't selling. And I'd call up you and say, where are the stands? Don't tell us how to sell. So a year, <laughs> after a year and a half of that, I got everything back. So Emu was no longer the distributor, and now I was by myself. And that's what I said. I'm done with stores. I'm done with reps. I'm done with everybody. Let's keep it small. Let's really become small so I can enjoy my life and still keep the thing going. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing. So in 90, 1996, my wife and I started alternate mode. And we, we and like I said, we managed to keep it going until uh, the market changed and I suddenly realized I needed help. Yeah. And then you connected with Hal Leonard, correct, who is who is uh, licensing the cat brand because that is a fa- I mean, it's famous. I mean, your your innovative technology has really uh, it's known. And I'm not I feel very, uh, you know, again, I've said it before, but in that world with, you know, uh, orchestral percussion and vibes and things like that, I, that is outside of my world. But even I know about the mallet cat. I mean, it seems like an industry standard. Do you have a lot of competition? I mean, I don't know much about this world at all. Well, there was almost none at all. And then um, there was a guy in the UK, Zalicinth, um, different instrument completely. Um, uh, and we both coexisted easily. We were both expensive, making them in small, you know, in our, in our little factories. Uh, but then Pearl came out with a mallet station. And they did the thing that I talked about with, you know, the Walmart mentality. They got a thousand of them made. They got them made overseas. And they brought the thing in and selling it cheaper than I could get the metal for. You know what I mean? It was like one of those kinds of things. So it was an existential threat. So I used that as an opportunity for, to go to Hal Leonard and said, they will bring the marketing to show the world that there's a mallet, electronic mallet instrument out there. Yeah. And we can piggyback because my instrument's better. Uh, the, the good news is that they didn't do it right. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, sure. They, they, if they hadn't didn't done it right, I wouldn't be here. Uh, at least in business. Yeah, but no, the positive outlook you're having on it, which I think is smart, is sometimes competition. I mean, it's not. It's a pretty niche market, and for someone like like a big brand like Pearl to bring the attention to it and then people are maybe um, searching it online and then they realize there is your brand that is a good way to look at it where uh yeah then people maybe find you when they first come out sales stop whoa where's the floor and then it just uh i'm right back where i was mm, interesting it's, yeah it's just a different a different headspace uh, and i got aggressive too i have to admit i made videos showing what mine could do, which I knew theirs couldn't, so I emphasized that kind of thing. At the same time, I the whole why it's exciting with the how lender thing is the appeal to make the next generation. If I pull this thing off, this next generation, 
it's going to be it's going to revolutionize electronic percussion really like uh, right yeah. now you are working like right in- now we are working on it cool i was working on it independent of how let it up until the uh, covid and i could no longer afford the engineers i was with i was hardware and software engineer with making a whole new stuff um the technology has changed so much that you can get thousands of levels of dynamics when you're playing it can tell you where you struck it on the bar um another fortuitous thing that happened was i met a guy in austria with a company called v sound v3 sound and we're working together on sound libraries so now i have a killer a killer vibraphone mallet orchestral percussion library a killer hand drum Library yeah. with uh, world percussion, uh, Latin percussion, um, Asian percussion, cool. Turkish percussion. It's just like that. And now we're working on a drum a drum thing as well. Interesting. And there's still controllers where, where historically you would always have to have like a outboard, you know, a MIDI, like a, a brain, like a box that has all the sounds in it. Still, well, I guess now people would probably hook it up to their computer. Well, that's the, ch- I see, that's always been our problem is that you have to get people to connect things. No, I want to make a turnkey box. Yeah. You turn the thing on, there's the sounds, listen to it. But it's going to have a connection, a USB connection to software because I'm, I, I, I've been working on a whole new set of um, sequencing software. All the, you know, either if you look at a program, these amazing programs like, you know, Digital Performer, Ableton Live, you know, they're wonderful, super powerful uh, to finish your thing. But the looper program has always been limited. You got these floor loopers. That, um, so I created this, uh, or I'm working on this thing called the Catalyst that allows you to on the fly without touching your computer. You can create loops of different lengths, put them together. You can transpose them. You can quantize them in subtle ways. You have cool. a metronome that's a rhythmic generator so that it improvises with you, like mm. little AI stuff going on to practice. And I think... That's the future, especially when you combine it with a company like Hal Leonard that has publications. Yes, yeah. So I'm hoping that the next generation will be so simple. It'd be like a Casio keyboard. You know, Casio can sound pretty good. Their keyboards are pretty high end now, you know, but people don't consider that because they're so simple to use. That's the way to get into every school in the country, by making it simple to use. I mean, for most people, as you're saying... That's the barrier is like, well, wait, it would almost be like a kid would buy it by mistake thinking it had things in it. Let's say a keyboard that's like an Alesis MIDI keyboard and then they return it because there's no sounds in there, which you wouldn't blame someone for that. But it's like having things built in is, is nice. There's just two almost levels. There's a level of something that comes loaded with things. And then there's the more professional one where you got to do the work to put them in where a pro would want his own sounds or her own sounds, you know? You know, the the younger people that call themselves producers, you know, that mentality, they're into the technology. You know, they want the looping, they want the, the slicing and the rexing, and they want all that. But drummers, by and large, don't want that. You know, yes, some of them, they'll go, they'll buy a computer, they'll get, you know, addictive drums or, 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 or tune tracks or, you know, great libraries. But most drummers are very hesitant to take that on the field. To take that on the gig they want it just turn the thing on and play it already so um i think that's where i want to go um 
from now on. At Radio City, we're using four or five Malacats and drum cats and jam cats. I mean, this whole thing using five computers, you know, backups on top of back. It's insane. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, how does a purist vibe purist you know per, uh, like orchestral purist how do they look at that again i'm not in that world when when someone comes into radio city and sees all the electronics which i think it's 2022 it's awesome it gives you more options to put all these things in there how is it received from the you know um you know the the purists out there well it's interesting the young players that are coming in auditioning juilliard grads matt school grads you know all great players 90% of them have no prior experience with electronics. So they'll do their auditions on acoustic timpani and on a marimba or something. And then they come in and they're surrounded with this. So there is a disconnect. And I think there's, the reason why there's a disconnect is because it's not properly taught in schools yet. So in order for this to be successful, really, it, the manufacturer needs to start looking as their primary one of their primary goals is to educate the educators because, and if we can, with this new stuff, and especially with this software where you can teach people how to improvise in new, new, in different ways, if you can create a syllabus that way and present it to some um, young percussion instructors or jazz instructors, now every year that school will start pumping out a new generation of drummers and percussionists that see that um, it's a valid art form. Sure. See, one of the bad things about electronics, especially drums, because of this mentality that they have to sell to the masses, you make a $300 kit, a $500 kit, a seven, it's great, but it's shite. It's, you, it, it's not musical enough to say, this is my instrument. They'll practice in the basement, they'll do it you know, in the dorm, but how many times do you go to a concert and you see a, just an electronic drum? This pejorative in nature. Um, on a mallet instrument, on this thing, to me it's better than acoustic vibraphone because I can bend notes. I can, I can add vibrato. I can control the gait in ways that you can't do with just a piece of wood or, or a vibraphone. So for me, if I had... To be stuck in one room for the rest of my life with a vibraphone or a malachite, there's no, no question. You know, with this percussion library that we put originally for the jam cat, if I put on every octave of this malachite, a kunga, a bongo, a tumba, uh, uh, a quinto, and you start playing, you suddenly realize that you have four octaves of sounds. And by starting to learn patterns, you can create a groove of a whole section that you can't do on any other controller other than a keyboard. Mm -hmm, sure. Uh, so it's I'm learning now. It's like I'm learning how to play. I've never dealt with. Um, I'm going to play this combination of a you know of a Doombeck with a shaker or there's a shaker, and I'm learning. Whoa! You can create the imagination that the shaker was continuing, or the triangle is continuing, or the or the bongos because the way you you know. Do that, that, boom, you know it's going to be there. So you can, you know, yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping in the next few months, I'm going to be pumping out tons and tons of videos of uh, showing all these new sounds that I'm just learning how to play right now. Well, 
I mean, that raises the question, too, of you've been doing this a long time. Like, there might be other people who are in your generation who are maybe like a little bit hesitant to try and get into all this electronic stuff, even younger people. I mean, like you said, you were coming up in music school and you just kind of got into this and you've relied on, you know, electrical engineers and people like this. But what would you say is maybe advice of people, let's say people over the age of like 50 who who have no real background in messing with, you know, MIDI and controlling sounds and either in the percussion world or in the drum world or whatever. But what what is some tips you would give for like, you know, how to shake that kind of fear of, oh, I don't know. I'm not good with computers. I'm not good with electronics. Any advice? Yes. I mean, that's the goal of the next generation. You don't need a computer. You don't need to know the language of MIDI. If you see a little button that says vibraphone, you click it. Now you want marimba, you click it. It becomes that. And uh, and then I think what happens is you find your own voice. And then you, you the instrument teaches you. In a way, if you allow yourself the space to let it tell you where you're at and what you are, and you stick with that, then you have, now you're communicating with your instrument and you've found your voice. Sometimes you think you want to be this, but it's telling you you're this. If you stay there and let it, it's kind of like it's almost alive in a way. It, you, it, you, it's your mind, but so I find that uh, it's giving me a voice. Sure. It's giving, and, and when I'm saying, oh, I wish it could do this, hey, uh, Chuck, can you put this in there? Uh, I got to find a way of doing that. It sounds yeah. like too, like you can, like you're saying, like, like there's like, yeah, you can, it, it's pretty simplified or, it, and it will be more simplified, but it seems like you could do the bass level and make it sound great, but then you could kind of dip your toe in a little more. Like you can kind of create, it's sort of like a blueprint where, you know, people can do whatever they want with it. If they want to get more into sounds and, and, and tweaking things and using computers, uh, it's a very powerful tool. It's my hope that how let it that we'll start finding ways to incorporate it with education, so that um, when people want to get beyond just the preset, the little preset of the sound, saying, "Boy, you know that sound just lasts a little bit too long. I want it to be shorter," that they can find a way of getting into the gate time of the notes and changing it. You know those kinds of things. Um, so, in my mind, everything is drag and drop. Sure. And I want to eliminate as much of the MIDI words as possible. So if you yeah. see a picture of a Deegan vibraphone and you drop it on the thing, it sucked up those samples, it put the right octave in the right place, and, you know, all that that I do. But if someone wants to change it, I'm going to give them the tool to go into their computer interface, see that on the screen, change, and then change that themselves. Yeah. There's something about MIDI that, um, I mean, I've had a hand, I've had a fair amount of experience with MIDI with like, you know, working in Pro Tools and the MIDI stuff there and, um, you know, like creating kind of background music for like videos or something, pretty basic stuff. But it's almost like it can be as crazy and involved as you want it to be. Like you can go nuts and you can program things to do anything you want with it. Like it's it's basically endless but and it's it it's daunting at first. All not your not your instruments, but just MIDI in general is sort of a uh, there's a it, lot to it. It's a language, yeah. It's a language. And, and another thing that I noticed that uh, fear you said you know older people uh, learning to manipulate loops in real time um, threatens drummers. 
it doesn't have to. Uh, for example, if you have a little file that does this, you suddenly realize I am just playing this and I'm getting and you can start building stuff and become the creative process becomes the exact way when you are playing this. You don't have to always spend your whole life sitting down, playing bass, playing hi-hat. No, you can have a hi-hat that's giving you that beat and you can so to me, ex- exploring loops, not in the producer way where they just turn on the thing and they think they got a groove, interacting with that groove in a way that you become part of that groove is an exciting new thing. And again, I'm learning because I came from the old school. You know, 70s, 80s, uh, I-, I was playing uh, orchestral, you know, timpani, xylophone, bells, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I haven't touched that you know, those instruments in years though. Do you scared. have fun hopping? I was going to say, do you have fun hopping on real acoustic instruments? Or I mean, you're like this is your business, this is your baby. But like, is it fun for you to hop on those every once in a while and kind of you know go back to the 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 olden days of instruments? I, I, I sold them all. Uh, uh, no, I don't miss them. I have to be honest. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you're, of course, this is, this is your world, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure some people you gotta, you gotta always remember, I'm sure you've felt that throughout your career of it's, it's, I feel like electronic drums and percussion. I keep saying drums just because of the show and my background, but electronic instruments and acoustic instruments are always sort of like it's, it's one or the other. It's rarely both together in general, what's your thoughts on, on on those two different worlds coming together? I think that the real hybrid has not happened yet. That it's been attempted several times by different companies in different ways, but it's not here yet, including us. Uh, mm-hmm. Although we're working on something, uh, well, you know, we had uh, we were I was in a project with uh, Aquarian Drums uh, with Minitronics, the company. Uh, Frank Eventhoff was the um, inventor of the facade. And we got together, created Medtronics, and we went to the Aquarian to put sensors inside the head. Have you ever seen that? I don't think I've seen that. It's a head, an acoustic head, and sandwiched between, inside that head is a layer of conductive ink, and then there's um, dielectric dots that separate a circuit. And what happens is juice is flowing through that thing, and when you put your finger on it, it creates resistance. So by measuring resistance, you can determine how hard you hit or where you hit. Uh, and you can do hold and don't now and sustain. Wow. You can't do that with piezo technology. So FSR is an interesting uh, uh, tool to get expression out. So we made these heads that have zones inside them. What's cool about that is that you could be playing on the head, you're hearing the sound, you will not get that electronic sound until you actually strike that black ink. Hmm. So you can have multiple, so it's the first time that you have a triggering technology that doesn't interact. There's no false triggering of any kind. Yeah. So in our first attempt when we were working, uh, well, I should go back a little bit. You said from... Cat, I was there was an adventure with KMC, and KMC was going to use the cat name 
And they started, we started working together. We're talking about the future of making new stuff. And then KMC sold it to Fender. And Fender had all the stuff for a while. And then Fender <laughs> sold it to DW. So my life just keeps on different hats, you know. We, so, <laughs> Same story, different person. I mean, this is, it's relevant right now, you know. And then after a while, I think DW had too much stuff from KMC. They were selling the, the, the Latin percussion and, and the Gibraltar. So they sold it to the, uh, they, they transferred the license, the cat license that I had given KMC, Fender, DW, over to Hal Leonard. So that's just a little progression of sure. things. Okay. Yeah. So then my hope was to make this hybrid drum set with uh, Aquarian. Uh, we called them in-heads and on-heads. And then alternate mode called them uh, hybrid heads, hybrid pads. Same product. We just marketed it differently. But the same problem arose. We had to rely on plugging into a Roland module or a Yamaha module or a lease module. So we weren't ready yet. We didn't have all the tools in place to make it a turnkey concept. That is the key to success today, especially because young people have attention problems. (laughs) Instant gratification, man. It has to really, you know, uh, you can't expect someone to want to dig in and learn the technology unless they're already in love with the thing they're playing. So we have to create the love first. Uh, So... I'm hoping the next generation will have this kind of technology, not another mesh head, uh, so that what I like, imagine a drum where as you play from center to edge, just like an acoustic drum, you're hearing the harmonic cycle change. So imagine if a recording was able to capture all that. So you start to get, all of a sudden that drum won't, it'd be very blurred between what is acoustic and what is electronic right now. Yeah. I mean, because you've seen the whole progression from, I mean, going back to 79 through now. I mean, you've seen everything basically covered in that in that world. I know it goes back a little further with even more. Well, Simmons. Of, I mean, they were Simmons, the first. Yeah. Made yeah. a high-end, expensive FSR, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you hear about how how kind of unpleasant those those early e drums were to play on people's wrists and hands because it was like hitting just a pad. But it was a progression you had yeah. to learn. Yeah, when our hands hurt, oh shoot, we got to do something about our hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I want to talk a little more about Radio City Music Hall. I mean, that is just such a cool gig. That has to be. Uh, it, it's like like I said, it's hallowed ground. Um, you now continue. Now you said you you you're not performing there, but you were still doing the programming, correct? For the yes. all of the electronic um, percussion stuff there. What does that entail? All what is that process of programming everything like? I had to make sure that in the uh, theater it sounded better than the acoustic. You know, one of the problems in Radio City, unlike a going to a concert hall, the orchestra is on a band car, a literal car that's on wheels that goes up and down, up floors. It goes down into a sub-basement when they need to push us in this concrete enclosure while they move elevators to move scenery. So the volume was a nightmare to work when you were playing timpani or piatti, when you're surrounded by uh, concrete. So they needed to make changes for the volume. So they, the drums, bass, 
keyboard, and percussion, when electronic, for the idea of mitigating sound. So that was the reason why. And they didn't know that I was doing this. I never let them know all these years. So from 79 to the, to the I don't know, to the 2000-something, uh, they didn't know. And, and I got a call from someone saying, hey, they're going to put a Mallet Cat in Radio City. They so didn't know you were making the Mallet Cat. No. And I you're let, playing there. I didn't want them to know. <laughs> I, was, I was enjoying my acoustic world, stress-free, just play and go home. So when I heard that they were going to do that, that's when I went to management. I said, dude, no, you're hiring me if you're going to do it. And that's what happened. So I got the best sounds that one can find on a computer to make sure that when you, when you play timpani, it sounded like timpani in the audience. It sounds better than acoustic because, like I said, with all this moving, there's all these mic issues. There was a, a nightmare. Uh when my partner and I, when I was playing acoustic timpani, we would sit up in the uh, in the in the mezzanine, and we'd get discouraged because we couldn't hear what we were playing. The you know when our subs were playing, we were listening sure. to us. When I listened to the uh, with the electronics, I could hear when the player let go of the the dampen pedal. I was able to hear the vibraphone sustain. That's how good they got the electronics to to go through the you know million watt system whatever they yeah. have there so in that case the electronics were better than the acoustic because of those constraints yeah i mean electronic stuff things are set to cut more they're the volumes are are kind of things are figured out a little bit more so i can totally see that and i was it was interesting i did an episode a while back um uh, with warren uh odes on who plays on broadway a lot and um and hearing about how much stuff is hidden in different rooms and the acoustics and it's moved around. It's like, yeah, that is a bit of a nightmare with microphones and electronics would just take care of that problem. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, I remember one of the shows, I think it was Chorus Light or something I was playing. The xylophone, the bells are here and the guy's head is right here playing trumpet. Uh, yeah. At Radio City, the French horns were here right in front of me and their bell would come at me. And I mean, it was horrifying to have those sounds smashing all day long. I mean, I, my hearing is shot. Uh, so I loved having the ability to put a cat headphone on. Those big, you know, uh, those headphones are like uh, air muffs. You guys are in pretty tight quarters. I mean, it's just, it's obviously, it's it's pretty pretty wild. Now, it's so interesting that you were the performer, but then you're also the business owner uh, were you a little bit, was it a little a little nerve-wracking to have your company, your baby, up on a huge Radio Beyond City music hall? Yeah. You know, the saying, you know, you're as good as your last performance? Well, after a while, the conductors, if something happened to the equipment, it was the same as if I played bad. And I felt in jeopardy whenever some kind of crap happened. And in Radio City, because of this going back and forth, they have to unplug the the uh, the plug and then go on battery power. Ooh! So there were these little spikes that a laptop would freeze, or the Malacat would freeze because we are we're running around and our shoes get static and you touch the metal and it stuff like that always happened. So I created this really complex redundancy system that if that went down you can play here, if that went down you can play here, if the computers went down, step on the switch, the next computer running con at the same time would take over. Can't trust the mixes. Let's have two mixes. If the mixer went down, you, that kind of a thing. Man. 
Jeez, you you clearly and like I said before, your brain has to work in a certain kind of way with the flow. And I heard someone say, you know, my old boss at a recording studio would say, you know, when you're doing a lot of crazy routing with audio processing, whatever it is, MIDI, anything, you know, it's like a flow of water and you kind of turn it this way and it goes this way and it goes this way. And which, yeah, it's all simple and easy when you say it like that. But when you're in the actual literally the pit doing it and programming it, it's not quite so easy. I mean, it can get very confusing, very fast. I mean, that's uh, about as big of a venue as you can can get where high stakes. So what I'm demanding now from Radio City, that if I'm not there, that I need to have a training session with the percussionist that you're hiring. Not the programming, but if this stops playing, is the MIDI cable connected? Let's start with a list. MIDI cable, reboot the computer, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, and the problem is when notes are going by and you're not playing them, you kind of panic and you have to go through some panics in your life to say, no, no, no. <laughs> Stop. Just yes. take it easy. Work. What, what is that working? But that's not working. Oh, it must be this cable or that kind of thing. Or yes. someone kicked the adapter on the floor. Or, yeah. I mean, yeah. things have to go wrong at one point for, I mean, I have many examples in in the audio engineering world where something's gone wrong. Even before I start these interviews, I have always learned it's the simplest things of check how much hard drive space you have, because I've <laughs> done uh, voiceover sessions historically where, you know, again, I'm the engineer. Oh, I just started a session and there was uh, 150 megabytes of space on a hard drive, which is eaten up like that. There's right. simple little things you need to look for, which you don't know unless you've been burnt. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Brian Lance. When Brian left Emu, he went with Muse Receptor. And like, you know, you know, I'm friends with Brian. So yep. before I know it, knew it, uh, before the computers, I had a half dozen Muse Receptors at Radio City. You know, they work great. You turn them on, everything is fine. The problem with Muse Receptors was it was before there was SSD drives. So it would take minutes for it to load up, especially because we had to load the whole show. And the concept that I created at Radio City is rather than keep on loading in sounds and worrying about things to go wrong with that, load the whole damn show in and just access the sounds by calling up a different MIDI channel. So it's all there, less to go wrong. You know, I had a situation once where the show's in pre, pre-start. It's going to start any second. The show starts with me doing an eight-bar bongo solo on the drum cat. And the electricity went, bloop. So all the machines went down, <laughs> down. And now they're starting to come back up. And they called the show. They didn't listen to me. <laughs> and the pit's coming up. And I'm staring at the screen. I'm watching the little thing. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, I have a tambourine in my hand. Then I'm going to play the solo on tambourine. You know, fix yeah. like that. What well, happened? <laughs> I mean, okay. So that's what the purest percussionists who love their acoustic instruments, they're saying now, and I got to, you know, I'm doing the devil's advocate thing. They're going, well, you don't get that problem with, uh, you know, natural acoustic instruments, which... Oh, sure you do. You put your hole through the bass drum. <laughs> sure, there you go. The snare drum cracks. <laughs> There's something always that goes wrong. I think electronic yeah. stuff, it is the way of the future, but, I mean, it, it has been. It's not, I mean, it's 2022. It's not like I'm like, you know... People, I have to convince people that computers and the internet are good, but we all know this, but there's still, I mean, to this day, anything you use, I mean, it's, I feel like it's, you have to have the redundancy. We rely yeah. so much on 
power. I mean, really, you to plug it in and batteries. But, but and they're getting better now. They're I getting mean, better. way better. You yeah. know, so now Brian works for Apple. You know, now you turn on an Apple computer, it loads up in a couple of seconds. Uh, you know, the technology has to change like, you know, we do. But um, redundancy is key. If I have an important show, I have an extra Malacat in my trunk or an extra computer. Always. It's like bringing an extra snare to a gig. You know what I mean? It's just a different different kind of thing. Obviously, you own the company, so you can have that. Uh, it's it's easier for you to bring bring stuff like that. But now, um, so people listening might be kind of in this, you know, the world of playing vibes and, and, and percussive, more percussion stuff as opposed to just drum set players. Do you do like, do you have like, you know, artists on your roster and endorsements or how does how does that work with people who might want to be, you know, work with Mario? Well, in the cat days, we were, that was a, you know, we were, playing with the big boys. So we had the Vinnie Calliota and Dennis Chambers. And, you know, we had big people. But when I took back over in in 97 or something, when I went on my own, it was just basically, you want it, you call me, you have it. It was yeah. it was a, a different kind of vibe. Now it's changing with Hal Leonard. Hey, we need young people. How many times people want to see this gray hair guy playing on a mallet instrument? <laughs> so if anyone's listening... Who uh, Matt the De- Oh Matt DeBasey 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 California young uh, player from uh, Berkeley he lives in California he is a fantastic modern electronic player cool he was he's the I can think uh, the best that yeah. I know uh, so I need we need young players anyone who's really into wants to call me please because we're looking to make uh, young people to attract more young people yeah i i just did the week before an episode about dixon drums and it's very much where there's certain brands where you kind of like uh there's opportunity and and like you're saying you nowadays you need the young generation younger generation i mean it could even be older people but you just need the the faces on youtube and instagram and facebook using it cuz that's how we all find out about things is is the the brand recognition of some monster percussionist playing you know a mallet cat or anything that you've created that's how you get get to the younger generation and we need that to keep it all going we need to keep music playing the producers today don't want to use musical terms don't want to use musical things they are producers not players and a lot of people are attracted to that because it's so easy to grab a bass line and drop it on the timeline and grab, and who listen to my composition. We have to get players to keep on playing. There's nothing like to have a relationship with an instrument and to play with someone and have that interaction with two players. How can you, you know, yeah. garage band for me growing up was in the garage playing <laughs> with other players. And yeah. uh, I think that's what's lost today. Yeah. I have found it. I've been in situations in the studio as an engineer where it would be limiting where I would be around singers and more people who have like theory backgrounds than me, where I've never wanted to know theory more and and just, I don't know, more. It wouldn't even be percussion. It would be just general music, piano knowledge. Then when you're sitting in a room with people who are really going back and forth with terms and you're just like, and I'm sitting there. I mean, I we're all drummers and percussionists, so I, you know, I, I love everyone who's a drummer and percussionist. But I'm like, man, I wish I could hang more with these. I don't know, being able to call out the note that they're singing wrong or something like that. I feel like it sounds cheesy, but knowledge is power. You know, mm-hmm. it's truly 
it helps you stand out. And I, I hope that 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 is the case for a long time where it's not just drag and drop. Like you said, it is. But I, I have hope for the future. I see a lot of people on social media who are very great players who are truly knowledgeable. There's a lot of great people out there. And, and I think there's there's a lot of hope. Not to be an iconoclist, I think that the way they're teaching music in schools are just wrong. Four years of species counterpoint. And uh, I mean, graduating as a performing percussionist and don't know what a MIDI cable is. I mean, there's some real problems, I think, in the school system because all it does is just continue to think that you're going to be one in, in a thousand to get an orchestral gig or you're going to end up teaching this and perpetuating the same thing. I think to be relevant today, if I had a kid that wanted to go to Berkeley and was going to cost me a quarter of a million dollars <laughs> to get his degree, it would try to be for practical musical applications. And that means so that you, when you go into a studio, you, you understand what's going on with the board. When you play an electronic, you can play the electronic instrument. It doesn't have to be your number one thing. If you're a marimbist, you're a marimbist. You know, uh, I don't really like... What I'm always have to do is, hey, let me hear your vibe sound. I, I can't tell you how many basic shows and name shows. Let me hear the vibe sound. You know, okay, but this is so much more than a vibe sound. Hey, well, let me show you what it's like to play flute on this. Or, or hey, I'm going to play guitar. You don't sound like a guitar player if you play a little guitar voicings. Guitar players play opens, opens. So you got to learn. So each instrument becomes like a teacher when you hear yourself back and say, hey, that didn't sound like a flute. Oh, my sustain pedal was down and I bled it a whole bunch of notes. You don't do that on that kind of thing. That uh, there isn't a formal that I know of training on how to be musical on different sounds other than. So this is the kind of thing I, I was longing to see in schools. And then there'll be life in performance. I think young people will be excited to use what they're learning in their daily applications. Sure. Yeah, it sounds like best of both worlds where, man, take that if you're in at Berkeley or wherever, uh, any of the great music schools, it's like once you get back to your dorm or your apartment or your house, mess around with computers and make it your own. And uh, that's how you stand out. You know what I mean? I mean, make some some crazy sounds and just have fun with it. But so as we wrap up, Mario, when can people expect this kind of, you know, new stuff you're talking about, the next iteration of what you're working on? And and on that note, where can they find out about it? AlternateMode.com, okay. join our newsletter, and we send out new letters on a regular basis. On Hal Leonard's side, CatPercussion.com, uh, uh, Hal Leonard brings in lots of kits uh, that have the cat name on it, and there'll be new ones coming out, probably, definitely, the NAM show, uh, that which I believe is April right now. Um, I'm hoping in the next month or two, I'll have an upgrade for the Malacat GS, one of the reasons why we have such a good following is that people buy an instrument and they keep on using it for 20 years. There's not many companies that make an electronic instrument that stays that way for 30 years. I mean, yeah. it's essentially the same instrument. That's why it's time for a new one because the electronics are getting harder and harder to find components and technology has changed. So I'm really ready for that. Um, I hope to be releasing tons of new stuff on, on the Facebook, alternate mode Facebook stuff. So, um, the goal is what I'm, which I'm hoping that people enjoy is that when I start playing, I'm going to play the conga part, the bongo part, the shaker part, the bass part, the guitar part, the vibe part, or the steel drum part. And then they say, wow, this is a whole different way of playing and practicing. 
Because the first time you play a, a, an accompanying part and you listen to yourself back, you go, oh man, I'm so busy. This is crazy. I would hate a guy who played like that. You don't know that until you listen to yourself playing back and say, my God, I must have hurt people the way I played that. It's that kind of thing. Sure. So I'm learning now how to be a composer in my little practice sessions. And I say, this is really valuable. I wish I had that in school, uh, a little program to listen to yourself compose parts. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting for me. It's a growth thing for me. I'm nowhere near saying that this, I'm learning. But it's a. I don't mind sharing my learning and you know in public to see yeah how it how it grows. Totally, it, it holds you kind of responsible, and and that's a great way to look at it. You usually don't listen back to yourself and go, oh, I should have played more notes. But um, that's cool. Everything will be in the description. All of the alternate mode links and uh, mallet cat and drum cat, all that stuff. The Hal Leonard links I'll share and Mario's Facebook and all that stuff. Um, and then Mario's going to be kind enough to hang out and record a Patreon bonus episode where we are going to talk about his. Uh, 1979 um, audition for Radio City Music Hall, which I think will be an interesting story, and I'm excited to hear about it. So if you guys want to hear that, um, you can go to patreon.com slash drumhistorypodcast um, or go to my website, drumhistorypodcast.com. There's a little button to click, and you can um, check out that and like 65 or 70 other bonus episodes. So there's lots of cool stuff there. And I want to thank you. This is very nice, very kind of you to think of inviting me. Thank you very much. Well, the 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 first big thank you uh, beyond you goes to Brian Lancer for getting us connected. And then thank also you, Brian. our mutual friend, Barry James, who has been going through some health issues. But Barry's been he's been talking to me about getting you on the show for, I want to say, maybe three years now plus. Uh, and, it you know, we 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 finally made it happen. But we I really hope Barry is you know, pulling through and, and doing well. And I'm sure he's listening right now. So, you know, we love Barry and I hope he feels better. Love you, Barry. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Well, Mario, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at drum history and please share rate and leave a review and let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future until next time. Keep on learning.